you can have everything in the world, but if people don't feel like they belong or that they want to belong, they're not going to be a member. And it's really about that camaraderie, that fellowship being something larger than yourself and building on that, that moves us forward. And you've got to have the students engaged. You've got to have the older folks engaged. And you've just got to deal with the fact not everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to find value. Welcome to Change Your Mindset Podcast, formerly known as Improv is No Joke, where it's all about believing that strong communication skills are the best way in delivering your technical accounting knowledge and growing your business. An effective way of building stronger communication skills is by embracing the principles of applied improvisation. Your host is Peter Margarita, CPA, a.k.a. The Accidental Accountant, and he will interview financial professionals and business leaders to find their secret in building stronger relationships with their clients, customers, associates, and peers, all the while growing their businesses. So let's start the show. Welcome to episode 19. And before we get to our guests, I want to wish everyone a happy new year. And I hope you all had a safe and festive holiday season. As I thought about 2019, I wanted to get off on the right foot as well as I wanted to try something different. And today my guests are Alan Lloyd, who's the CEO of the Montana Society of CPAs, Boyd Search, who's the CEO of the Georgia Society of CPAs, and Chris Jenkins, who's the CEO of the South Carolina Association of CPAs. I wanted to interview three people at one time, and I tell you what, this was a blast because I've known all three of them for many years because they all used to work for the Ohio Society of CPAs. And our discussion centers around the state of the CPA associations and the issues that members are facing in the accounting profession, both current and in the future. Before we get to the interview, I wanted to share that my book, Taking the Numb Out of Numbers, was ranked number 12 of the best books in 2018 for speakers as ranked by speakershub.com. That blew me away. I was so excited about that rating. And the review they gave the book goes like this. Peter does an outstanding job demonstrating how to present numbers to a non-number audience. It is useful information that can be used in any presentation, can help make the presenter a rock star. I highly recommend this book for anyone who presents financial data and wants to make it interesting and relative to their audience, whoever they may be. I've already used many of the suggestions in his book. Thank you very much, Speakers Hub, for that review and being ranked as one of the 12 best books for speakers in 2018. And taking the number out of the numbers will transform your ability to communicate technical financial information in greater context through analogies, metaphors, and storytelling. Put another way, translate complex financial information into plain English so your audience will gain a deeper understanding. The book is available on Amazon.com, in paperback, and in Kindle, so buy it as a New Year's present to yourself. If you'd like to purchase 10 or more copies, please contact me at peter at petermargaritas.com for bulk discounts. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Alan, Boyd, and Chris. Hey, welcome back, everybody. 
Boy, are you in for a treat this week. Uh, actually, this will be the very first episode of 2019, so I thought I'd kick it off and try something completely different. I'm with three very special guests. Chris Jenkins, the CEO of the South Carolina Association of CPAs. Alan Lloyd, the CEO of the Montana Society of CPAs. And last but certainly not least, Boyd Search is the CEO of the Georgia Society of CPAs. We have all CEOs who originated out of Ohio who are now running other states. And I thought we could have a conversation on what they're seeing going on in the profession and give us some of their insights. So uh, each one of you, we'll start with Chris. Give everybody a hello, uh, a little bit about yourself, and then we'll move to Alan and Boyd will come up in the rear. Chris Jenkins here from South Carolina, CEO. I came from Ohio. I was there for 16 years as the CIO. So my background is primarily technology. Uh, looking forward to talking with everybody today and discussing what's going on in the profession. Want to see what the other smart guys in the rooms have to say, and we'll go on from there. Okay, Alan, you're up, bud. Yeah, so I am Alan Lloyd from the uh, wonderful state of Montana. Uh, much like Chris, I'm looking forward to hear what others have to say. And uh, I can't wait to share. Uh, this has been kind of a couple of weeks where I've been dealing a lot with our students and looking forward to sharing some of the, the cool things that are happening at Montana schools. Great. Boyd. Uh, Boyd Search, uh, CEO of the Georgia Society of CPAs. Have known all three of you guys far longer than I probably deserve to. There isn't there, there's and they're both right. And there is entirely uh, too much noise in the system. And so my conversations with you guys always actually help bring clarity to that. I know we'll laugh and make fun of each other a little bit today, but um, in all sincerity, that's I think uh, I think not hopefully me, but hopefully other people get get some of that clarity out of this. Yeah, I think before we start, we should probably give a big uh, shout out to uh, Clark, who all three of you guys had had worked with over the years, and I've interviewed a number of times on this podcast. And um, I think a big thank you goes out to him for all of his leadership that he has given all of us over the uh, over time. So, just we'll start we'll start with Chris. So, what are you seeing in South Carolina? I, I know that you've gone through a a, a big overhaul per se, and your membership model, and you've created something completely new and different from the other states. Maybe you could fill us in on how that's working. Well, the, the model is about all-inclusive membership, and it's about bringing the association back to what it originally was. And the association was a community. And the idea of the profession coming together and having that camaraderie. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about CPE, and we spent a lot of time marketing CPE, but there are a lot of CPE vendors out there. What we were trying to do was deliver the maximum value for the minimum price. So we wanted to roll CPE in as a member benefit. And when you look at all of the talks that we've had about CPE over the years and what CPE actually is, it's that competence versus compliance. When you take the price point out of the CPE, um, it becomes more of a competency-based system. So what we do in South Carolina, any of our, our live streams or any of those things, you can take those for free. The only time that you're going to use any of your bank hours, and those come with membership, is when you're going to get credit. So we have a lot of people taking a lot more CPE, and it's more competency-based and not worried about the compliance part because they know they're going to be able to fill that in, but the competency comes at no cost. And I think that's important as we go forward. The world is changing very rapidly. And as that world changes, we want to make sure that we're delivering everything that we can. 
But most importantly, from our association standpoint, it's really about delivering that community environment and working for the profession, advocating for the profession. And again, removing the CPE component, not making that a sales pitch, but making it just another member benefit shows our members everything that we do. And we've been able to communicate the advocacy, the student pipeline, the communications tools that we have. And CPE kind of fell down on our member value structure. Um, It's something that CPAs have to have, and we hope that we deliver it well. But it's by far not the most important thing we do. And this was a radical move. And I know because I was down there for a bit while you were going through this process. Uh, This took, I can't even imagine how many hours and nights of lost sleep that you went through in order to get this thing rolled out. And I congratulate you on taking that risk and doing something different. And on the surface right now, I know you're still kind of new with it, but on the surface, it seems like it, it's going to be successful and, we're, and, and will be sustainable. It does look successful. I'm not to the point yet where I want to go, yeah, it's a wild success. With a change of this magnitude, you're going to get people who push back, and that actually makes the program better. So we listened to those people and we made it better. I think some of the proudest moments this year were when the people who were really not happy with the change came back to us and said, you know what? I didn't like it. I'm experiencing it now. And you've actually brought the association back to what it's meant to be. And that is community and camaraderie. That's, that's something that makes me really proud. Um, our conferences this year have been higher attendance than we've had in the history of SCAPA. And it's not like record numbers like you might see in a big state. You know, But when we get 400 people to an event, or 500 people to an event, that's over 10% of our membership, which means, and they're working with their peers now, and that interaction is what we drive. That's the value of the association is member-to-member interaction. And I'm proud of where we're at. Does it mean that it's perfect? No, it's not perfect. And it will evolve over time. Does it mean it would work for everybody? Absolutely not. This program was specifically designed around the requirements in South Carolina and that's why it works. It's, it's specifically designed around what South Carolina CPAs need. We're not the AICPA. We're not these other organizations. We don't try to be that. We're here for South Carolina CPAs. That's all we focus on. That's all we do. And that's great in, in how you've been able to get that message out. And, and we had talked on an earlier podcast about this topic. And, and the word that you said that really stuck with me, because you summed it up in one word, fellowship. And that's what you've created down in South Carolina. And I think hats off to you for myself as well as your other colleagues who are on this podcast with us. You know, what Chris has done is really cool. And I think when you look at his timeline, being the, you know, the rookie here in the group, you know, this isn't something that Chris jumped in and year two was doing. You know, he took the time to listen to his members, figure out what the needs were there. And then this was the answer to those those issues. Uh, you know, here in Montana, one of the one of the problems we have is you know we're a state of a million people that's three and a half times the size of the state of Ohio, and so CPE is difficult for us because it's hard to get here. And then even once you're here, our you know cities none of them are that big, and they're spread out so far from one another um, that it makes it difficult for us to get that teaching talent here. And, you know, last year, one of the things we changed was we got rid of all of our eight-hour seminars. We switched to these cluster events, so they're two or three days, and, you know, there are no classes longer than four hours, and you get to pick and choose. But what that allowed us to do is bring in a teacher 
who was teaching a broad topic and, you know, we'd get enough people from that broad topic to then have that person there for the afternoon where they could do a deep dive. And in the past, those deep dives just weren't happening because we never got enough people here to do it. And so looking at that situation and figuring out, you know, what works best for us, that's not going to work for anybody else. And figuring out those things, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I learned from Clark. Clark was always you know, had his thumb on, you know, what the members in Ohio needed and how we could provide that to them. And I think that's one of the biggest strengths that we probably all took away from working with him is, is understanding that we're membership organizations. We need to be, you know, aware of what our membership needs. And each membership has different demographics and different logistics and everything to pull. Speaking of logistics, Boyd. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, Georgia's not a small state and you get a lot of stuff in Atlanta, but I know you CPs deliver throughout the state of Georgia. When, when you listen to Chris and Alan, I think their stories and differences articulate well some of the challenges we face in the profession and how, term, uh, how different uh, our members uh, operate, uh, their varied needs and things. And, and you see these different ways of trying to adapt and adjust to those needs. We are in Georgia. It's a larger state. Uh, I mean, it's fairly big geographically. You know, our, our, we have a good membership size, over 21,000 CPAs in the state, licensed in the state. Uh, but there is an advantage for us in that 85% of our members are in Metro Atlanta. And that creates uh, opportunity and challenges because while we are compressed in this space, traffic is terrible. It's not going to get any better. You know, the, the joke is if you want to go anywhere in Atlanta, whether it's a half a mile down the road or 10 miles down the road, it's going to take you at least a half an hour to just get started. And so, you know, we have made significant investments, as, you, as we've talked about before, in our live stream technology. And we are, we're doing it all ourselves. Um, and we have partners on the software side of things. Um, but we have all our own equipment, all our own staff, and we, we do it for ourselves. And in an age when a lot of people are partnering with outside companies or with other states or whatever, we have moved in the opposite direction where we are entirely reliant on ourselves. Um, and so we own the process and own the, and own the technology and hire the people beginning to end. And that has paid huge uh, dividends for us, both financially uh, we have not experienced tremendous growth in our margins, but we have offset losses that, that we see other states and other providers having. Um, and it's created a unique product for us in Georgia, where we have firms and companies and people utilizing it in different ways. Everything from firms putting all their people in a conference room and doing watching a live stream, and they discuss the issues as they're being talked about. You know, as the presenter brings up an issue, they can talk about client ABC and how that impacts them to you know, uh, the for hire controller, and I know of this person who, you know, works out of her home and probably, I'm not going to say her name because she, she, she works at the same time the CPE class is happening. And, and that's it, to Chris's point about competency versus compliance. We found a way to, to help you meet both needs. Interesting. And, and what I, I hear from all three of you is the ability to recognize the idiosyncrasies of the uniqueness of your membership and try to tailor something to meet their needs. The one thing that I, I, Chris and I were talking before you guys joined us, he was telling me the uniqueness in South Carolina where, now Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, South Carolina Board of Accounts only will allow, recognize only eight hours 
of professional development like leadership to be counted as CPE. That which, is correct. Yeah, it's and while I was telling you, about, I I had researched at one time at uh, the state of Kentucky because I you know going up there, I always want to take you know love to teach there, but I found that they don't allow any personal development to be part of CPE leadership right. types of courses. Yeah, and that that can be good and bad if you think about it, right? <clears throat> You're already fighting this battle of competency versus compliance. There's there's a bad taste in people's mouth over CPE because people have to do it, right? What we see in students and what we hear from the firms is we need our new CPAs to have better writing skills, business development skills, communication skills. Mm -hmm. So if you look at that, that's all personal and professional development. Uh, One of the best courses I took as a young professional, and it it sounds really strange, was Dine Like a Diplomat. I'd never been to a business dinner. So I actually took a course through my association, and they taught me that you pull the bread, you don't bite it. You know, and, and those tips and tricks and what you do with your sugar packet is you put it under the plate. You don't leave it laying on the table. But it's easy for us as seasoned professionals to think everybody knows this stuff. Everybody knows how to draft a business letter. Everybody knows how to make a sale, how, how to do business development. These, to me, are very important skills. And people won't send their staff to CPE because they can't use that credit. So what if we took it another direction and said, this is just part of lifelong learning outside of compliance and try to get people to come to that. And this is where we have to be unique in South Carolina because our firms need their new CPAs to know how to do this. We have to find a way to provide it outside of the scope of CPE because of the limitation. Another limitation is self-study. In South Carolina, you can only do 20 hours of self-study and it won't carry over from year to year. So you've got that limitation. Again, some of the best CP is the CP that you need just in time, right? Oh, I picked up a new timber client. There's not, there's not a lot of timber CP out there, right? Right. So again, from my perspective, that limitation actually limits the CPA's ability to be competent in that area because they're not taking that CP. They're not going to get that, but when they need it, it's really important. And that's where as an association, because I don't sell CP, I don't have to apply credit to everything and it, it makes it better. But We have to fundamentally change how we think about education, how we think about professional learning, because the world around us is changing so fast, there's no way to keep up. And we value everything by the hour. So we bill by the hour, we trace by the hour. It's the most ridiculous, outdated concept that I can imagine for tracking anything of value. Value has its own measure. Time is not the measurement of value. Uh, I'm going to give you a big amen on that. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I fully agree with that and, and, the, and the ability to check the box. But, you know, CPE, we've been, we teach CPE the same way we did 30 years ago. Not much has changed except maybe the delivery of it. It's actually gotten worse. So I started doing CPE courses 20 years ago and I was a discussion leader. My job was to walk in a room and facilitate a discussion and to be a topic expert in technology. People would come in the room, they would talk about what they were doing and what their problems were, and I would facilitate the discussion to get to a solution. Now, it's all lecture. And that's what you're supposed to do. Now I'm a presenter. And that's a problem because you learn more from experiences than I could ever prepare in a lecture. Right, exactly. And and I think, you know, one of the things that uh, we're doing right now is we... Our, our president, my current president, is very interested in engaging our young professionals. 
And so we are taking our young professionals and having them go through some process to discuss the major topics that we're facing, you know, the, the impact of technology, demographic changes. And then here in Montana, we've got a large issue with rural CPAs who are retiring and leaving a void. Part of that process, we're asking this group not only to you know, come together and talk about the issue, but then at the end of the day, they're going to be giving presentations at our annual conference next year on what they come up with. And a big part of the reason we did this was to give those people an opportunity to be presenting in front of a group of people, which is something at their stage in their career, they might not necessarily get a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities to do that. When we initially started this, it was just a, a new task force that we were going to put in place. And then luckily, one of, the, one of these young professionals asked us, hey, am I going to get any CPE for this? And we looked and we we're like, oh, NASBA allows technical committees to obtain CPE for their work. This is a technical committee researching technical issues. And so we're thinking about, you know, how do we leverage this in the future as we learn you know, how the folks in this process are learning, uh, you know, they're learning technical issues, but they're also learning some of these soft skills at the same time. You know, how can we do more of that? That's great. That's, that's a wonderful idea uh, to have them come and present at your, at your annual meeting. Uh, there'll be some, some nerves, but they'll get, they'll get a ton out of that. They'll have a lot to walk away with. That, that, that's great. Can I do a pitch here? Sure. Yeah. So I know this guy. His name's Pete. Pete Margaritas. <laughs> And he worked with us this year to build a speaker's training. And we've run it twice and it's been wildly successful. So what we've done is we brought our members in and we gave them those tools and that comfort to be able to create materials, how to present, tell stories, actually get in front of a crowd. And again, that was two, two and a half days of CPE. But what we were able to do is build a speaker pool of 15 experts that are now comfortable in speaking as well. So I think there's a lot to be said about moving away from the status quo and, and bringing in those new faces and actually building um, the, the local speakers, the younger speakers, and bringing it back to that discussion. Uh, thank you for that. I, but that, to his point, it was, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do it, but they walked away learning a lot of things that they never would have even thought about. And I think the one thing they kept saying is, it's not about me. I learned it's not about me, it's about the audience. And I have to tailor the, my conversation to the audience, not just my, myself. Uh, and to the point, we, we, need, we really do need to get younger CPAs in the discussion leader pool uh, because we're going to wake up here soon and they're all good. All the, as um, a gentleman from the AICPA said, there are a lot of male, pale, and stale will be gone, and we've got to be able to backfill that. What about you, Boyd, in, in Georgia? As you're laughing uh, there after my, after my I'm trying to figure out what the question is. <laughs> <laughs> but there are no questions, only solutions. It's only solutions, yeah. So, well, it, it started as idiosyncrasies within our state. With the, you, know, you can only have eight hours of uh, personal development uh, count as um, credit. In South Carolina, do you, what about George? Do you have any? Do you have ethics requirements? Do you have reduction of thing uh, of topics that you can use and can't use? Yeah, I mean, we ha we we do not have an ethics requirement, although they're getting ready to 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 pass one. Um, so that that's coming. We're one of uh, basically four states that doesn't have one, and and so we're behind. I think on that in terms of public perception. There is a, we have a 16-hour requirement for ANA, so we report every two years. It's 80 hours. 
You have to have at least 20 hours in each year. 16 of those 80 hours have to be an A and A. You know, it's you can argue about foundation and and core of being a CPA and things, but but the reality is we we have people that are you know running concrete companies and they have to take 16 hours of A and A and they're never it's it's of no value to them from a professional development perspective and and so you know Chris and is absolutely right about what we should value versus what we do value in terms of time and and those things. I just it's it's an easy conversation to have or an easy thing to say that it's another to be able to find a way that proofs out to the public or somebody that understands that you are as a profession adhering to a standard that 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 maintains you as keeps you as a competent professional. I get that the public perception and the reality of things are vastly different. Right. Um, but that's that's really, I think, the single greatest hurdle to getting agreement on how can we transform CPE to be something different from a regulatory perspective. Right. And I know in, in Indiana, they have they begin to move to more of a competency based model with and they started with ethics and they were able to get uh, their board of accountancy to accept. You know, they still had to have credit, but I don't. And, you have to ask Jennifer Briggs about this, the, the details of it, but they've worked with the county board to recognize that some of this stuff is going to be competency based. You got to take a test, pass it in order, in order to say you can move on, but that does qualify for credit, but there's some fuzziness in that, that um, is escaping me right now, but it's, we tend to be moving in that right direction slowly, but that's what our profession is very slow. Alan? The, the, the weird thing in Indiana is that it still converts back to hours. Yeah, so you, and I, I don't know how it converts, though. The hours, and the explanation I was given is, you know, for a new person, it might take them five hours to take this class, but the class is only worth one hour. Whereas you've got this person that's already mastered the subject, they can do it in 15, 20 minutes, and they still get an hour. Um, hmm. But it's that you've proved that you know this thing, yeah, and knowledge of that thing is worth X number of hours. So that's one where I really like that they've, they're trying something different. But I'd love to see like a lot more of that so we can figure out what works a little faster. Well, I will contact, because uh, we'll probably come up on a year anniversary since I did interview Jennifer on that. And I told her I was going to come back and, and see where they are. So I'll, get, I'll see if I can get her on, my, uh, on the podcast to explain what's yeah. happened over the past year. But I, yeah, I, if it takes somebody five hours, I guess the, the, the end result is we are more competent at what we're doing. Because we've passed it versus I've sat there and now I can just check a box. So what do you guys, Alan was talking earlier about, about the young CPAs. Are you guys engaging any of your young CPAs to, in, in leadership uh, and, and volunteerism um, within your organizations? So we opened the door to that this year, which it seems like really late in the game to say you can be a student member and actually be on a committee and, and, and lead the organization. Uh, but it's something we just hadn't thought of. And if you want to grow your business in the future, it's something that's kind of self-evident, right? You're building an association for the future. You want to talk to who the future professionals are going to be and figure out what they're going to want as they move forward. Um, one of the most frustrating things for me is I get calls all the time. I want a three to five year experience CPA all the time. And I'm like, well, I've got a whole bunch of CPAs who are looking to get two, three years of experience because they don't have that. 
Um, they, they've got two years because, or the year of experience that was needed to get licensed. Are you willing to look at any of them? Nope, I want three to five years. And I get it from a business standpoint, but you're never going to get three to five year candidates unless you're willing to start hiring some. The race for talent, the fight for talent is, is kind of started to reverse, right? So now you see the big firms, the, the largest of the firms, starting to come downstream and take employees from the regional firms because we need employees. So where we used to say, oh, the regional firms will get their experienced employees out of the large firms, that's going away as more people move to the gig economy. And again, three to five years experience, how do you calculate that if you have people who are working in this gig economy who are doing random work for different firms? So I look at, from a student perspective, when I go talk to students, I love to tell them about the flexibility of the profession. That, to me, is the big selling point. You can go and do anything as a CPA. Uh, at the same time, I do want to get their feedback, and I want their ideas about how they're going to work so I can start addressing this at the firm level and say, okay, how are we going to change the mentality of the firms who are hiring to say, you can get someone who maybe hasn't done the traditional three years of experience at the big four, and they're still quality candidates. So I think it's important to bring those students in, start collecting that data now. And I'm actually kind of embarrassed that we were so late to bring them into the fold and say, volunteer with us, get some experience here and tell us what we need to do to move forward. Yeah, I've, uh, somebody recently said that, you know, I'm looking for a 30-year-old tax manager. Well, they're kind of hard to find. You know how long it takes to get a 30-year-old tax manager? 30 years and nine months. <laughs> That's the right answer. That's the right answer, exactly. And the gig economy. As soon as you said that, popped about one of your one of your members, uh, Sean Kenny, who I interviewed, who's building a platform to change public accounting. Basically, find CPAs from around the country that specialize in area areas, and if the firm doesn't have that talent, they can go to his platform, find that talent, hook themselves up, and the work gets done. Right. So Preplink.io, another pitch there. Uh, the website's Preplink.io. And it, is a, it was built by a CPA for CPAs. Firms can get a subscription and find the talent that they need. And individual CPAs can, of course, um, put their experience up there and, and look for jobs. So it is more about that gig economy. And when you look at Gen Z and you look at the millennials, this is how they're working. I mean, this is their expectation. Now, again, even on Preplink, people are looking for people with experience, but they have to get that experience somehow. And this, this introduces them to different kinds of teams, different kinds of engagements, and builds a very wide range of experience in a, in a shorter period of time. So I think that that's going to be something that's great. We do see with Gen Z, especially, they want to work in an office. They want to have that stability. They want to be part of that team but they're also struggling to get there. So that gig economy is helping them gain those different types of experience so that when they interview, they can talk about what they've learned. Boy, what are you, what are you guys doing in, in uh, Georgia with young CPAs? So uh, let me start at a more macro level with the just the issue of what are you doing with this particular set of people to try and you know get them engaged or you know, diversity and inclusion or young people um, joining the profession the, the association and being in leadership, I am right, wrong, or indifferent when we start to talk about, well, we're going to put together a young CPA committee. We're going to put together our DNI task force or whatever. I, I, I have enough experience and cynicism that I tend to, I, my, unfortunately, my starting place is an eye roll because it 
largely what comes of those things uh, is activity that allows us to say we're doing things, makes us sound smart, and makes us be able to make it sound like to other people that we're doing something that matters and makes progress, when by and large, we rarely ever are. And so I, I think you have to do those things because they create conversations. Okay. But beyond that, it requires a leadership from Chris, from Alan, from me, from you as, you know, as a past chair of the board of, of the Ohio Society to function with great intention on things. And I don't mean, you know, quotas for young CPAs or others, but certainly in developing your own personal network of, of people that you know and, and talking about opportunities to be engaged or leadership or whatever. Because I, if, if I'm doing that, if Chris is doing that, if my board members are doing that, you tend to see a lot swifter and more productive uh, progress, if you will, than you do by sitting people in a room and, and talking about the issue and saying, well, we're going we're gonna to budget $2,000 next year for our young CPA board so they can have a, you know, a, a beer and brat night at the local ballpark, which are cool. Yeah. But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't put somebody on the board. It doesn't put them in a position where they suddenly realize, holy, holy crap, my opinion matters and the work I do and the attention I pay matters. And so, um, you know, we have we've done all, we've done many of those things that everybody talks about. But the thing I'm most proud of is that we've had leadership that has recognized on all of those fronts. Uh, and I'll say diversity because you can diversity is not just a and you know an ethnic ethnic or racial thing. Right. It be young, generational, or you know whatever. They have an openness and a willingness to function intentionally when it comes to those things. And as a result, we have a fairly deep bench of diversified talent across. We've got roughly what we we say about 400 members that are actively engaged. And so that means they are serving in some form of leadership role, task force committee, council, or whatever. And uh, the, the, the bench is not as deep as I would like, but from a diversity perspective, again, diversity being all kinds of things, it is, it's robust. And I'm quite proud of that. I hear you. Uh, and, and, you know, having lived through a lot of that frustration as well, but as you were, as you were describing this, the, the thing, you know, we, we keep talking about leadership within, you know, we need more leadership CPE, we, we go soft skills, but a great place to develop all that, all of those soft skills are volunteering and being part of a task force, part of a committee, getting involved. We're not seeing as much involvement from older, younger, middle, you know, middle of the road, whatever generation into the association as we once did. And is it because we're just too busy or is it something else? I, I don't know. I think the definition of involved or engaged is what you have to worry about. If you are 65 years old, your definition of engagement is far different than if you're 25. Right. And if you have a if you have an expectation, and, and I'm way over generalizing, but a 25 year old is going to join the local chapter, serve on a chapter committee, decide to be a, a chapter officer be the secretary, be the treasurer, be the vice president, be the social chair, be the president, and then maybe get the chance to serve <laughs> on a state committee 
where they do, yeah, and, and 30 years later, they get to bang the gavel as the chair of the board. That it's just not, it's not how it works anymore. Right. We have focused on the idea of engagement being making it w- what the individual wants. And so we'll have, you know, you'll have an individual, you'll have two different people, let's say, making it up, sitting on the same task force that we'll have. And they will both have vastly different experiences in terms of the time they commit, uh, the depth of their intellectual commitment, but both of them can walk away satisfied because of the way we structure it and the way we have a broader array of expectations or acceptable outcomes for individual volunteers. And that's hard because particularly, you know, if people have been around a long time, their expectations for what should be are are way different. Way different. What do you think about that, Alan? So, you know, as Boyd was talking, one of the things that that struck me is we, on our board, we have two seats that are reserved, one's for a student and one's for a young professional. So every, every year we've got one student that sits on our board and one young professional that is there. And that is part of their capacity of being on the board. And one of the things that I've been really proud of is our group does a great job of making sure that those people are included in every conversation. We don't ask our students just to talk and be engaged when we're talking about student issues. We want them talking and engaged on all the issues that the, you know, the profession and the society is dealing with. And that's where, you know, so many great ideas come from that and questions because, you know, the younger folks don't have all that history. And so they don't, they're not following this track where they're like, oh yeah, we've seen this problem before. We'll just do X, Y, and Z. You know, they come at it with a different angle and it's just, it's amazing what it does to that board dynamic to have those folks in the room engaged and involved in the conversations. Yeah, they haven't developed those biases out there. Actually, I was uh, doing the kind I'm loaded with. (laughs) (laughs) This guy was saying that he was looking for an he wanted an open rate. He wanted to have a hundred percent open rate on this um, campaign that he was doing. And he had his group together and was asked them all, well, what 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 should we do? And this intern goes, Well, we're we're having this event at a ballpark. Why don't you get a box? and put a baseball in it and send it to all the people that you want to invite. And nobody else came up with that idea. And actually, he ended up having about a 100% open rate because when you get a box from someplace, what do you do? You open it. And then the baseball and the invitation. So yeah, that, that's, that's a great idea. Back to you, Chris. What do you think? So I, I will say that Alan's idea of you know, having reserve seats, I, I do like that. Um, the concept that you're aware and you need to have that representation on the board at that level, and you you don't end up with the path that Boyd pointed out, which is 30 years. And I agree with Boyd. Involvement, the definition of involvement, involvement depends on the person, and it depends on their passion. And it, when you have a volunteer, I think the most important thing that you need to do is you need to understand what they're passionate about. You just can't assume that somebody wants to be in in, in a specific group. So we don't have what you would call a diversity and inclusion committee, right? We, diversity and inclusion isn't everything that we do. We want to include everybody. We want to make sure that we have the, the proper thing. So that's the charge of everything that we do. Young and startups, uh, candidates and, and students and young professionals should be part of everything that we do. And the more that we realize that, I think the better off we're going to be. And Boyd's absolutely right. 
members can be very, very passionate about something, but they have a full-time job. If you really want traction, if you want to move, it's going to have to be somebody on staff and, and they've got to go get it. So, you know, I'm out, I go to all the universities. I'm the one that's leading the student charge and it's very successful. The other thing is I used to lead it and I would take digital assets and be like, hey, here are all, you know, all of you students, here are all these cool web assets and things that you can go to and it works on your phone. What I found is they're overloaded. The, the way that I've been able to get the most traction is I take paper applications yeah. and have them fill them out while I'm there. So I, I think that there's a lot going on there. I also see that we are starting to get more of the younger generation involved, but it has to do with change. We have a fear as associations, as we should, that if we create too much change, the people who have supported us for the last 30, 40, 50 years won't like us anymore. So we don't have, we, we don't have that emphasis to change, right? right? But we also have to recognize that if we don't change, if we don't do something different, the people who are going to support us for the next 30 years are not going to find us relevant. They're not going to find value in us. So there has to be this method of controlled change where you try to balance the needs of both without making either one 100% happy. And one of the things I was told when I took this job, no matter what you do, somebody's going to be mad at you. If you want everybody to be happy, go sell ice cream. I'm not selling ice cream, Mm. right? So, and even with ice cream, it's going to melt. At least my product's not melting. But I think it's really important to, number one, understand your audience. Understand you can't make everybody happy. Get everybody to the table. And you're not going to get consensus. Not, you're not going to get a unanimous, yeah, this is perfect. But you're going to get, this is what it takes to deliver value to me. And if people can find the value, they will want to be part of the association. And that's because, again, for fellowship, to reinforce that they're part of something larger than themselves. Boyd and I have talked about this. You can have everything in the world, but if people don't feel like they belong or that they want to belong, they're not going to be a member. And it's really about that camaraderie, that fellowship, being something larger than yourself and building on that that moves us forward. And you've got to have the students engaged. You've got to have the older folks engaged. And you've just got to deal with the fact not everybody's going to be happy. Everybody's going to find value. Well put. I mean, we never can make everybody happy. And I guess it's the point. As long as you've got a majority of consensus to what is is happening, then you're moving in the right direction. I guess when your when your popularity goes down to below fifty, and and you got more people against you than at with you, then that 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 creates the issue. Well, one of the issues. Um, I'd like to stay at eighty twenty. That uh, yeah, sixty you know, forty is not where I want to be. We, like, did we just start talking about politics or <laughs> <laughs> using that as a metaphor? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I would, I would, I would assume that eighty twenty or eighty five fifteen is the preferred. But what, what, does it get to the point that it becomes concern? At what number? A concern for myself, or concern for the association, or concern for the profession? The first two, for yourself and for the association. Well, I have no idea about for myself, and I hope I never find out. And and not not to mean I that we we won't lead and make tough decisions and and those things, but I, I I don't have any perspective on when it would be a danger zone for me personally. I think for an organization, I don't know that there's a danger zone in terms of gosh, you know, seventy percent, eighty percent disagree with the direction we're going. 
because dissent or agreement implies some measure of engagement and concern and or just let's say awareness and uh that's not always that's that's usually for me that's that's a good thing um apathy i think uh if you could measure apathy that that would be the the one to measure for me that would give me concern if it reached a you know a certain number and i think some of the areas where we see that and this is not a popular thing to say so cpe is an area and you can talk about why or who's to blame or what's to blame. The CPE is an area where there is a tremendous amount of apathy and that can be very dangerous. So that's where I would go with it. Uh, I think I'm going to make that into a bumper sticker because uh, <laughs> in all honesty, you're, you're right about the apathy in, in the CPE world. Uh, what do you think, Alan? I'm going to go to the opposite side of this issue because you know, when I started, one of the things that I, I knew was going to be an issue is this whole idea of, you know, technology is coming to disrupt us all. Yeah. And, and it's, kill us all, isn't it? <laughs> it's coming, right? I mean, things are changing, but at the same point, you know, I didn't, I knew coming in that I, I didn't need to make all my members, you know, blockchain experts within a month. But I think coming in, there was a clear, you know, heads in the sand. And I would say it's probably 80-20, 80% of people were just ignoring this issue. And I think anytime you've got you know, something where people ignore or are dismissing something that we as a profession and association find important, you know, that, that's something where I go against that. And, and I've heard from members that have told me, God, you know, stop, stop mentioning this damn thing. I'm going to retire before it really impacts me anyway. And I'm like, well, are you retiring tomorrow? Because, you know, this is something that even today, you know, we're hearing from other members, members in industry that are actually using this stuff. And, and they're disappointed because, you know, the, the firms that they're working with don't understand it enough yet. Um, and so I think they're, they're, you know, it depends on this issue. You know, if it was something political and, you know, I didn't have at least, you know, I would say 70% of my members on board, it's not something I, I would go chasing and and advocate for at the state house, but on some of these other, you know, fuzzier issues, I think it's, I think it, I'm comfortable where, wherever it happens to be, as long as I'm making progress in the right direction. You remember IFRS, the IFRS, and because you, yeah, obviously I was very involved in it back back then, and uh, the acronym we used to say it's incentive for retirement soon. Because I would hear a lot of the same thing. I'm not worrying about this because I hope I'm retired by the time it comes into place. And We're then I look, be dead. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then I, I look at that. I look at those same that same group and go, you know, we may not have adopted or converged with it, but if you look at the standards that FASB has been putting out for the last few years with Revrec leasing. Uh, elimination of extraordinary items, changing inventory measurement from lower cost to uh, net realizable value. That was all IFRS based. That was all IFRS. So, you know, I, I, when someone said, I'm, I'm, I'm glad we didn't converge because I was going to retire. Well, you, you should have gone ahead and retired because it's really here. Uh, but you get a lot of that, a lot of that pushback. And, and with, with blockchain, I thought it was an intestinal disorder uh, when I first heard of it. But I've come to find out that it still is with a lot of people in our profession because it, it's just it's hard to get around, put your mind around it, the process, and it's upsetting some people in, in the abdomen area. I believe. I don't think I want to know what you thought Bitcoin was. 
<laughs> well, I'll let, I'll let that one pass for now. <laughs> you know, I think, you, you know, we joke about blockchain, but I think if you take the time to learn it at a little bit of depth, you start to realize that there's a lot of opportunity in that for accountants and CPAs. You know, one of the things one of the things I brought up with folks is you hear it's it's secure because it's distributed, right? All right. So hey, the same things on a thousand computers. You got to fit. You got to get five hundred and one of them in order to commit fraud. That sounds great. You know, you hear that and you're like, this I can trust this. Well, what if seven hundred of those computers are are all from the same business and the same IT guy can can manipulate them all at the same time? not so secure anymore. And so that to me is one of these places where we might have a role. Maybe part of our role with a blockchain is verifying that it's legitimately decentralized and, and is in fact protecting the way it says it is. Don't give Jenkins any ideas here, okay? <laughs> being, being the former IT guy that he is, now he's going to go basically take control. What do you, well, being the former IT guy, what, you want to chime in, Chris? I would look at artificial intelligence before I looked at blockchain. So robotic process automation and how that's impacting firms and changing the dynamics of the firm model is far more of a threat than blockchain is right now. Um, Large-scale blockchain is, is not reasonable in the short term. Um, the power consumption that's required, the fact that everybody's building their own and they're not going to integrate well with one another. I mean, we see this with iPhone and Android, I mean, on a small scale. Now try to do a global transactional system and try to get them to play nice with one another. Not to mention the amount of power required to do the encryption and the timestamp on these types of transactions. I mean, we'd have to have another sun to make it work on a large scale. It doesn't mean the blockchain's dead. No, for, for small scale implementations, it makes a lot of sense, but it's not decentralized. And that means it's less secure. So the, the first thing that I can tell you about any technology solution is when somebody comes to you and says, I've got a completely secure solution, they're lying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but just, just saying yeah. that makes me go, no, you don't, yeah. um, because it's built by humans. And if it's built by humans, it's fallible. I look at you know over two-thirds of my membership, uh, small practitioners, five or fewer firm, partners, maybe something like that. Um, they're working with Main Street businesses. Nobody's going to be implementing this in the next decade. Um, do I think that our larger industries will? Absolutely. For internal controls, it makes a lot of sense. But wide-scale adoption, it, it's just not for me. Now, on the other side of that, robotic process automation and those types of things, I think there's a lot of value in firms. I think there's a lot of value in the audit. When you look at those types of tools in AI, I think that's really what's going to make the biggest change in the profession over the next five to 10 years. I would tend to agree with you there. Um, uh, RPAs, uh, McCormick has two RPAs. McCormick, the, the spice company, one's called Old Bay and one's called Pepper. And they do vendor reconciliations. Now, some of the people in AP did lose their jobs over, but they're able to go through and do the reconciliation. Go, you need to look in this area here. And these, these over here look like to be fine. You might want to sample them. Um, and then there's another... From artificial intelligence, there's a company called MindBridge based out of Canada who has taken a Watson type of environment and made it affordable for smaller firms to do audits with it, uh, download the information into their AI, 
And it goes through and sorts through and says, okay, here's some high-risk areas based on some parameters that's out there that firms are using today uh, and with the RPAs companies are using today. And I think, to your point, Chris, I think that's that will continue to grow uh, uh, in the short term with blockchain being underneath that. But you're, I think you're right about that blockchain, blockchain is still... Uh, uh, it's out there maybe another 5, 10, 15 years uh, being made. But, but you got to look at the threat that RPA actually has. And, and I don't want people to be scared of technologies, but it shows that there is a disruptive force in the profession. Because if you're doing billable hours and everything that you do takes okay. less and less time and you're not billing on value, everything gets cheaper right. and you're actually delivering greater value. That's not how products work. Right. Uh, that's not how you build a healthy bottom line. We've got to find a way around this billable hour we have to, again, focus on the value of what we're doing. When you're looking at 100% of data rather than sampling, that's a more valuable audit. And it should be priced accordingly. And, and I think that that's the threat I see. Um, and then you look at the HR threats, right? How do you train humans to work with machines and how do you gauge their performance when the machines are doing the work? And from the CPA perspective, robotic process automation is really cool. Because who audits that the robots are working properly, that they're doing what they're supposed to do? Um, I don't know about you, but my technology tends to fail right when I need it most. (laughs) And I've got the feeling that some of you, when you're in charge, yeah, when I'm in charge of it, that's how that works. (laughs) Thank you, Boyd. Um, But somebody has to be overseeing those types of issues and making sure that year over year, transaction after transaction, that these machines that are now becoming self-aware or auto-learning, as you might say, right. aren't learning the wrong things and actually themselves committing fraud. That's a good point. That's, that's, a, that's an excellent point. I want to change the conversation just a bit because we are touching on it. I want to know of your members, what is their greatest pain point? What keeps them up at night in their world? And we'll start with that. But I'm going to start with Alan first. So we'll we'll hit him first and then move from there. I think across the board, what we hear from everybody is, uh, you know, I'm too too busy. I got too much to do. Uh, We had a small firm roundtable. I think there were 15 people in the room. Of the 15, all 15 were looking to lose clients this year because they didn't have the capacity to do the work. Wow. And when, you know, we talk about robots and you know all these things doing helping us with part of the work of those 15 people one one was using the 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 function in their tax software that would auto populate after scanning and so to me there's this huge disconnect with these these folks they're like i've got way too much to do and they're hearing oh hey here's this tool that can help you get more done and they're like i really don't want to learn what that tool can help me do um, and that, to me, is a big frustration point, um, hearing folks that have have a problem and a, a solution that's right there, it's right in front of them, but they dismiss it. Are they dismissing it because they don't have time to learn it? So we, we know there's, there's a learning curve when you adopt anything new. And is that the issue? Uh, this is the crazy thing, because the, the one person that is doing it um, and the past two years, the same the same person's been in our roundtable and made the same comments. It's as easy as making a phone call. 
all of the tax, all the tax software providers have this functionality. Mm-hmm. They charge you for it. I mean, you got to pay a little bit of money for it. Right. Um, but it's not something that you don't necessarily have to learn anything. You just have to tell somebody to turn it on. And hmm. that to be I mean, opportunity is right there in your face. You know, take advantage of it. So is it fear? I, I think it is uh, stuck in the muddedness. <laughs> stuck in the muddedness. I've done it this way forever. Uh, why, why would I change? And if it were working and they were taking on you know, more business and doing more, I would be like, I would completely agree. I'd be like, yeah, what you're doing works, but clearly it's not working. And when something's not working, I think you have to open your eyes to different opportunities. Oh, so now we're dealing with the word change. And we, and we know that historically CPAs aren't really um, great at changing or wanting to change. And I think from our perspective, one of the, one of the side impacts of this is that you know, for the past 10, 15 years, we keep hearing how busy everybody is. And that's led us as associations to professionalize everything. We're like, oh, our members are too busy to do these things. We'll go ahead and do it for the members. You know, we'll we'll take them. We'll we'll get rid of that committee that's you know done this work for twenty years because they're too busy to do this anymore. So we'll just do it ourselves. And what we miss there is that deeper knowledge of the profession that we would have had in the past, um, but now is kind of missing. Interesting. Chris, do you have your hand up or you just have an itch over there? I was itching, but I'm itching to speak too, so I'll take whatever you want to ask me. (laughs) Same thing, what's keeping your members up at night? What's their big pain point? So I'm not going to give you another pain point. I'm going to say the the same thing. And I I think one of the things that's most interesting to me is it's always a staffing challenge, right? Everybody's busy. But if you move away from the people you would normally ask, which are the partners, and you start going down the line and you get into the younger staff, um, one of the biggest complaints is, well, nobody up the chain wants to change. And I'm, I'm now a young partner in this firm. And they're saying, well, I'm going to retire. I don't, it's working good enough. Why would I change? Why would I go through that hassle, that work to learn something new? When the younger partners are going, hey, I have an investment in this now. And this has to go beyond your retirements. We need to change. So that rift between the, the current status, the status quo, and the people who are in the position who need to change the business, I think that's something that is significant. And I think it's actually turning people away from the firms. I think that's why you're seeing more people go out on their own because they're recognizing the need for change. So they're going to go out and create their own firm where they control their own destiny because it's become too difficult to control their destiny inside the firm. It's true. I mean, I can understand both sides of it. Mm-hmm. Working in the position I'm in, it's really easy to go, you know what? This has worked for 100 years. Let's ride this train. But also recognizing that if something doesn't change, eventually the train's coming off the tracks. I think that's difficult, especially as, as the firms grow in size, the more difficult it becomes because you have so many people at different levels in that that, that want to take advantage of change and will, for, will fight not to take advantage of change. So again, it comes back to, we know we have a staffing problem. We know that we're busy. I still don't understand the, the concept of, I'm, I'm really, really busy, but I'm billing by the hour because there's only 24 hours in a day. If we're billing by value, 
you would then be able to afford more staff and, and do more clients. But that rift between young and old really does worry me. And I'm sure it worries a number of people who have just signed up to be you know, equity partners and firms. Yeah, I've heard that a lot uh, over the last year or so, that same argument. I'm a young partner. Uh, they're waiting for retirement. We need to change now. But I, 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 there's one thing I will correct you on. There are more than 24 hours in a day in a building process because when I worked at Pricewaterhouse uh, in Cleveland, we had a gentleman, his first name was Joe, I won't say his last name, who did try to bill a client 25 hours in a 24-hour workday. So apparently it can almost be done. It must be. How did that work out? You know, it wasn't Tom Cruise? No, no, it, it, it was not. And, and actually, the tax partner said we're not charging them 25 hours in a 24 hour day. That's new math, whatever. But I just, I, every time I hear that, I, I think of my, my, my friend Joe and, and trying to do that way back in the day. How about you, Boyd? What, keep, what keeps your members up at night? Sim- similar themes people and time are the first two that you hear uh, from everybody. Don't have enough people, don't have the right people, don't have enough time to do any and all of this stuff. You know, anecdotally, a theme I am, I'm hearing, and I, I don't think it's something that if you, on a survey, people would go check it off and be like, oh yeah, that's, that's one of my concerns. But whether you... And I'm, this isn't about politics, but whether you want to blame the Trump effect or other things or a combination of things, the, the things we are willing to accept now from leaders that we would not accept years ago, and that's not just political mm-hmm. um, or, or government leaders, but any, any type of leadership position um, seems to be weighing on people's minds a little bit. And I don't mean Steve Jobs wearing jeans and a mock turtleneck. I, I, I don't mean that kind of stuff. I mean, this sort of adherence to crazy uh, in a lot of ways and, and, and our general willingness to just sort of accept crazy when 10 years ago, what defined crazy and our willingness to accept it was nowhere even close to the realm that we, that we see now. And so all of that creates a measure of, I think, uncertainty or instability in people's lives because they're just not sure about things anymore. They're not sure about the markets. They're not sure about the government. They're not sure about our international relationships. They're not sure about just any of this stuff because it's all, so much of it's just so crazy right now. That that occupies more conversations um, than any than anything else. But again, I don't know that it's something people would check off on a survey and say, yeah, that's what's keeping me up. Maybe we should add it to a survey because I don't think I've seen a survey out there. What's what's keeping you up at night? Having that as one of the issues of crazy or I guess the lack of civility at times, the the, the lack of respect that uh, that's out there. That uh, whether it's whether it's you know face to face or or through social media or whatever, there, there's so much noise out there that it's just mind-boggling and it kind of becomes overwhelming at times and and i i, I guess well if if i had if i had a, uh, owned an organization or uh, had a firm and, and i would be one i'd be concerned about that as well on my people How, what what are what are their perceptions what are they feeling what because they'll bring that into the office and, and it could it would show up in the productivity is it becoming overwhelming for them i i, I tell people you don't know crazy till crazy shows up 
And when crazy shows up, you got to call HR, call the cops because it, it, it's it's not it's it's not going to be pretty at at that point. We we we've been at this now for about an hour, and one, I thank you all for uh, staying awake, being attentive, and, and being. Wait, we're not ending, are we? I got all afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> we can we can keep going. I'm tired of hearing Boyd. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I've dominated. <laughs> well, you got. <laughs> you know, I love it when the family gets together. It feels like we're at Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner. The, <laughs> the, the, How the brother... are we not going to talk about the new path to CPA? Come on. Mm. <laughs> I was kind of you... thinking the same thing. Well, since I've dominated, I would like to defer <laughs> to one of my counterparts. <laughs> To begin this discussion on the evolution of the CPA, I will go first because <laughs> I uh, I can point to something that's not mine that I really like. And so uh, we had some students at the University of Montana, and they do a capstone project as uh, grad students. At the end of that, they give a presentation on a topic. Well, luckily, last year, their professor was my, my, my board chair. And oh, yeah. so one of the groups this year, they went out and they looked at this alternative pathway. We're lucky here in Montana. I have an AICPA board member and a NASBA board member who are both here in Montana. For a state this small, that's really strange. Um, Very cool. Something we've worked hard on and something that, uh, you know, I'm riding coattails on that at this point and hope to continue in the future. But this group looked at it and these are students. So these are people that are, you know, actually they're going to be more impacted by this than anybody. You know, the rest of us are going to be retired and they're still going to be going. And, and what they identified was the fact that we've got some new things that are impacting the profession. We need to find a way to make sure that people have the appropriate level of knowledge of that. But at the same time, you know, we don't have 25 hours in the day. And so how do we, you know, how do we fit this new thing into the existing framework? And something I think that we, we all need to start thinking about is what are those things that have been on the exam forever that maybe have lost some relevance? Maybe some of these things that we, we've been teaching and having the students do for decades is not as relevant anymore. And this new, you know, technology it's that's impacting or new, you know, methodologies for doing the work is impacting. How do we how do we make a change so that we can swap those things out? And then my other big concern is what about all these CPAs that are already out there? You know, how do we make sure that as this as this profession is evolving that the you know we started talking about CPE. How do we make sure that that CPE is having the impact that it needs to have, so that everybody, not just the new students coming out, have this knowledge? Should there be more than one type of uh, CPA exam tailored to whatever specialty that I want to? Yeah. See, I have. I, Initially, I really liked that idea of having CPA tax, CPA audit, right? But realistically, CPA, it, we only have one thing that we're the only people that they only have one thing that they're the only people thing they can do. That's attestation. And so to have it for tax, well, you know, technically, Chris Boyd and I could go open a tax shop today 
and there's nothing to nothing to prevent that. So that to me, it's it becomes that regulatory part. We're by state regulation, mm-hmm. we can do one thing. If we're going to make that credential, then specialize in something else. Well, I so I'm a CPA and I don't attest and I don't do taxes, and but I still have to, you know, do all the things or that I to maintain my license that has nothing to do with what I currently do, even though I'm on the other side trying to trying to teach. Uh, and then you look at a tax person who, well, in, in Michigan, uh, you had to get like 15 hours or eight hours of tax. And I taught a couple of classes up there uh, back when I was doing A&A stuff. And I was getting like blank stares and stuff. I go, what's going on? And they go, we're all tax people. We're just here just to sit because the state requires us to do that to get eight hours when maybe there's something more specialized they should be doing. And, and, and uh, Okay, so Boyd, you're up, bud. I, I am confused by a whole lot of things when we talk about CPA evolution because like the last I checked, like the profession's over 100 years old and it has evolved in all kinds of ways and has been able to do it without fracturing itself at its core or its foundation. And so it is completely beyond me why the conversation can't be, let's assess what being a CPA is today, assess what we think it's gonna be tomorrow, and you can measure tomorrow in whatever span of time you want to, and then talk about the work that has to be done to the freaking exam, to adapt to those things. I don't understand why that's not the conversation. And one of the responses is that, well, it takes five years to change the exam. So you're telling me it's going to take less than five years to do this fractured other path or this other thing that's somehow then going to you know, have a, a foundation that can withstand the next hundred years like the current one? I just, none of it makes any sense to me. It's all in a mad rush. I don't understand that. And it's like, well, our hair's on fire and we're all going to die and we have to do it now. And I just, I don't, I don't buy any of that. I think, are we behind? Yes. Are firms operating, hiring and practicing in a way that's different than what the exam largely tests to in certain areas of the business? Yes. Okay. Well, then let's, uh, let's start changing the exam to address those things. If we want to, if we want to have a uh, wider pipeline of people into it, then let's change the requirements that, it, that, that, that qualify you to sit for the exam. Oh. I mean, largely, they're arbitrary. If you can pass the test, why can't you be a CPA? I get the whole education thing. I'm good with having to have a degree or 150 hours, which is an entirely different conversation. But if, you're, if you have a college degree or a master's degree and you can pass that exam, tell me why you don't belong, whether your degree's in tiddlywinks or brain surgery. I, I just... None of it makes any sense to me. It's we're spending so much time on this like nonsensical stuff. We just let's have a conversation about changing the exam to meet today's and tomorrow's standards. Why is it why is it harder than this? I'm sorry. No, no. I I I'm I'm glad you're not passionate about this at all. Uh, <laughs> Who is the Chris uh, Jenkins now? <laughs> <laughs> so, so boy, I'm, I'm well. I, I'll ask all three of this question, and then I'll get Chris's take on it. But there was a gentleman here in Ohio who didn't have an accounting degree and passed the CPA exam because he met some requirement out there. I don't. Do you remember the guy's name? 
I don't remember the name, but I know that I know that you can in Ohio, you can get a CPA without having an accounting degree. Nobody um, needs there's, there's a backdoor. You got to yeah, have so many hours in accounting. Right. You don't have to have an accounting degree. Right. But you have to have so many hours. And there was a backdoor that this guy, he's one of the few in the state that went through the back door. Chris, your thoughts? CPA is the gold standard among financial professionals. It's a brand. It's a known brand. There's a lot of trust around that brand. The concept, like Boyd said, that there needs to be some other thing that happens for the profession to evolve. I have a hard time coming to grips with that simply because I been to a lot of firms and I don't see too many abacuses laying around anymore. My experience with CPAs is when technology is going to make business better, they use it. They're the trusted business advisors. They normally work well outside of the scope of finance to ensure that they're advising their clients on the right tools to use to complete the job. It's most of the time in specific industries, which I think is an incredible asset um, to the profession. Is it true that, that the world is changing? Absolutely. Does that mean that there has to be a different path? I've had a hard time with it. The the original proposal um, where we were going to get technology folks to switch over and get their CPA, as a technology professional, I have a number of credentials. I'm very proud of them. I worked hard to get them. Straight out of college with an IT degree, firms are going to have to really up their pay scale if they think that they're going to transition somebody from an IT degree to a finance degree. It's just... it's. The nature of the beast, right? The problem that I have with education, and and you know, when we say, well, we'll we'll have a different path of education and we'll do something different here. Technology education, it's not real. The what you're learning in at, at a university is already outdated by the time that you've graduated. It changes <laughs> too quickly. So to to again say, well, we'll load it up with education, that's silly. It's cost prohibitive. It makes people not want to go and get the CPA. Technology courses are outdated by the time they get that you get out. So again, this is where experience comes in, right? And it's a three-legged stool, exam, experience, and education. With today's environment with, with colleges and with college courses, it's overly expensive to get to 150 hours. If you're going to take 150 hours, you want to take it in things that are going to pay you back. Um, I think that there has to be a lot of consideration given to that type of road, roadblock. And is it actually beneficial to a CPA? Are there other ways to achieve that through experience? Is there a, a bridge, for example, where instead of 150 in, an, in a year of experience, can you do two years of experience in 120 and actually gain the skills through doing things? Um, there's got to be a more flexible way. But the idea that we would take the CPA and try to transition it into something that it's not, to devalue that trusted professional, to devalue the gold standard, I think it's harmful to the profession overall. Do I think that we have to learn new skills? Just like Boyd said, absolutely. I don't, do I think there's a better way? Absolutely. And, and I think it starts with the exam. If items on the exam aren't relevant, change them to something that is. And if you change the exam, guess what the university is going to do? It's going to change what they're teaching. So you're going to get the education. And then when you get into the firm, you're actually going to be prepared to do the work that's necessary. What firms are upset about is they're getting CPA candidates in They can't do the work because they've been taught something from 10 years ago. Change the exam. The educators will follow, which will give you the experience that you need. And you're going to have highly qualified financial professionals, which is what a CPA is, that understand the technology around them, just like we've had for the past 100 years. I will add to what Chris said a little bit in that one, I don't, anecdotally, we have a few firms, managing partners, 
that kind of rail on this issue is that this notion that when we implemented the 150-hour requirement uh, in Georgia, as an example, we actually reduced the experience requirement to then become licensed. And they are, and they were against that when it happened, not necessarily against 150 hours, but against the reduction in experience requirement. And basically what they said is, look, what, what we've done is we have abdicated our responsibility to have some type of apprenticeship in here, in this, in this profession, to the universities. Uh, and but they're not actually getting any any skills that you develop through an apprenticeship, and so there is there is some frustration over that whole concept. Well, I, I will say this uh, about when my year chair uh, in Ohio. One of the things I wanted to try to tackle is I, if we're going to have 150 hours, put some meat on the damn bone. In Ohio, there was no meat on the bone. You could take anything. You can take underwater bone pottery and get as long as you got college credit for something that went to the 150 hours, which I thought that was a, you know that was a waste. And I'm I my my whole mantra is I think 120 get the accounting degree up the experience level. They still have to take CPE. They still have to do that other stuff. It probably creates a better CPA than make them take an additional 30 hours and something that's under you know, not relevant. Or they're just trying to get the hours just so they can sit for the exam. I think that's, I, I just think that's been crazy. And from what I understand, a lot of states haven't put any meat on that bone to say you need to take X, Y, and Z because that will make you a better CPA past exam. No. And what they typically test on the exam is what you took in your college. Undergrad. Undergrad. Thank you. For, you just completed me. Thank you. <laughs> I also noticed if you guys noticed I did join the glasses brigade. You were all you were all there, so I felt the need to You still don't look smart. Well <laughs> looking smart when you're not's kinda hard sometimes. <laughs> hey, why are you guys all looking at me? Hey, stop that. <laughs> I, I really question the the cost of the education at this point. And I think that's the difference in the nineties when it was implemented versus today. And the fact that we are grasping for straws to now say what the education should be. And you have students who are just trying, especially first-generation college mm. students, to reduce their costs and find non-traditional education to meet a requirement that is completely arbitrary. And if you want to, if you want to increase the number of people willing to take the exam, you really do need to look at the cost of that education versus the value it delivers. This was an apprenticeship profession when it began. And I think there's a lot to be said for the apprenticeship and the experience that comes with that. I, I agree. I, I agree. Anything else you guys want to talk about? We can talk about why Clark is so great. There, you know, there is a coaching tree, a legacy or whatever that's out there. And I think you recognize the three of us as a part of it in the beginning. But Pete, there's no question you're a part of that as well. Um, having you know served in leadership with him and stuff. And it's, uh, we would be remiss if we didn't take the opportunity um, to tell him that we love him and he's a brilliant leader, but he's also totally full of crap. So, <laughs> Clark, you recognize that voice. That was Alan. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think you spoke for all of us very well there, uh, Boyd, um, about our, our, our feelings for Clark and, and what he has done and, and his what he has taught all of us and continues to teach us because I know you guys get together uh, in Tennessee with him at times and I can just, I'd love to be a fly on that wall just to hear what you guys are 
are talking about what you're hearing, uh, you know, being retired, but he's still connected to what's going on in, in the profession, very much so. So a, a big shout out. Very to, little of it would be allowed to make the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. We just just that one little nugget, just that one little nugget that you that you'd be able to pull out and, and, and be able to use, gentlemen. I, I I greatly appreciate you taking time uh, to do this. Always fun to get the three of us, four of us together. Unfortunately, and it's, it's, it's yeah, I'm, I can't count. I'm, I'm the accidental accountant. <laughs> and I haven't even started drinking yet. But, you know, unfortunately, we have to get together via Zoom, but hopefully all of our paths will be in the same spot at one point in time. And, and I know how this could happen since I, I, I think Boyd could uh, appoint me an at-large member or Chris or Alan to the uh, accountancy board. And then at least twice a year, I mean, to the uh, AICPA council, then twice a year, we could at least get together at, at all of us in one spot. I, I'm just throwing out ideas, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do greatly appreciate you guys taking time to, to, to do this. I think uh, your insights and, and your knowledge is um, well worth people's time to sit and listen to and, and formulate opinions and see how this profession will continue to move forward and what changes will need to be made. So I will leave you with this. Happy New Year. Tons of prosperity. You guys have done great. And, and your, your roles as CEO, you're making mass changes and you're making great things for the profession and to the area that you um to your community i'm just proud to know the three of you guys right back at you yeah i'm shaking my head they can't hear that can they <laughs> only boyd can only boyd can <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that it's funny that you say that because we're you know we're talking about clark we're talking about the four of us getting together i think one of the things that's uh, always amazed me about clark and uh, you know, saying this now, it, it, it props me up, but he really did a great job of finding people that he could mold. And I think that, you know, looking at all of us, we learned a great deal from him, but that's because he saw something in us. I'm proud of that as a person that, you know, Clark saw something in me and was able to, to build me into what I am today. Some of us yeah, have challenged him more than others. <laughs> <laughs> Some of them challenged him more than others? Yes. Uh, uh, I absolutely love Clark Price, and, and I would not be where I'm at today if he weren't there guiding me and, and pushing me. And I could say the same thing about Boyd. I would not be sitting where I'm sitting today um, because I, I didn't always make the best decisions or control my emotions to the best of my ability. But I've, I've grown a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> But I will always cherish that time. And, and I'll be honest, I, I, in the last month, there's been a couple of tough spots I've been in where I just, I needed to, to vent. I needed to get some advice. And he always takes my calls and talks me through it and uh, tells me when I'm stupid, which is, you know, in, in his own Clark Price kind of way, telling you you're stupid or telling you, you know, giving you that advice of how to move forward. I wouldn't trade anything for the time that I had with him in Ohio. Yeah, those were... Now you, Pete, on the other hand, I'd give that up in a heartbeat. <laughs> Back at you. <laughs> and yet another reason Pete's a member in Georgia and not South Carolina, right? <laughs> oh, God, this one been way too much fun. So I, I do think the next time that we, we should do this again, but do it after five o'clock. That should produce some additional fodder as well. I think we should do the video. I think we should do it video and weekly and live broadcast it, and we all have to be drinking while we do it. <laughs> I'm in.
I, I could probably, I might be able to get permission from my board to like agree to not fire me over anything I might say in that. <laughs> I, I, you know what? You might be onto something. Maybe I'm not sure how we could do that live, but um, I'm, I'll look into that. Maybe we'll, we'll do a session live and see how many people will be uh, in the audience listening to us. My well, mom and dad, for sure. <laughs> and, 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 and heckling like, as well. really good bouncer. Somebody to, you know, control the door and make sure the right people are in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think Hawk might be in the front row. Um, <laughs> so, guys, um, I do appreciate you guys a lot. I, I, I'm privileged to have you guys as, as colleagues and as friends. And I look forward to uh, hopefully spending some time uh, face-to-face with you guys over in 2019, uh, preferably um, someplace uh, warm. Charleston. Works for me. <laughs> Pensions in Charleston in 2019. Maybe all of us could get there. Hey, hey I'll, 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 cla- I'll crash it. I'll crash the party. <laughs> I'll, I'll crash the Daniel Oh, that's right. You're annual convention. I still crash it. Exactly. Uh, Exactly. Cool. Great talk. Great talk for us. And uh, we'll uh, we'll talk again in nineteen. You guys have a, a happy holidays and look forward to uh, uh, chatting soon. I want to thank Alan Boyd and Chris for taking time out of their schedules to be guests on my podcast. It was so much fun interviewing these guys, as you can tell by the laughter during the interview. I'm greatly indebted to all three of them, and I wish all three of them a very prosperous and happy new year. In episode 20, which airs on January 21st, I interviewed Jennifer Briggs, who's the CEO of the Indiana CPA Society. I interviewed Jennifer back in October of 2017, and our discussion centered around competency-based CPE and how the Indiana CPA Society was utilizing this with their members. Well, it's been over a year, and I wanted to see how competency-based CPE was evolving in their state. So thank you again for listening. Happy New Year, and share this episode with a friend. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.